trending news right now. Thanks for your views there, TK. And you can keep them coming. That's in response to our poll question. Do you still believe in our constitution as we're marking 25 years since that constitution was adopted in 1996 on May 8th? Trending topics now, social media in the last 24 hours is what we look at with our social commentator, Atli Rang Mulefe. Atli, how are you today? I'm well, thanks. And how are you, Afanda? I'm good. Thank you so much. So let's go straight into it, starting with hashtag Tembisiete, who's sharing her forever young beauty secrets. So, I mean, we know she's 43, but she does not look it at all. She looks like she's 23. Uh, But, I mean, uh, she's a multi-talented media personality, actress as well. But a lot of people are so interested in how she manages to look so young. So she's finally shared why and what she does. Um, she did share what she does, but also in relation to that, I think what made people more interest, interested in her this past weekend was the challenge that they did, I think a dancing challenge. And I think for me, when I saw her, I couldn't even believe that this is someone who's like 43, because even the way that she moves, even the way in which she shared um, a different tips on how to work on your body and just to make sure that your body is in shape. So I think it's quite interesting to see someone not tie themselves to their age, but someone who actually is taking care of themselves and is trying to share tips on how to do the same as well. And it does also prove that when it comes to fitness, even just like dancing the whole time can also do like add uh, to your fitness. And you don't have to spend as much in, in terms of when it comes to like your fitness journey or anything like that. That's good. I mean, and, and she's saying that, as you say, that the, it's a healthy lifestyle. It's about good diet and exercise. So you've got to do both. But she's also not shy to say that she does use medical aesthetics. There's a an anti-aging treatment that she recommends uh, with Exilus Elite. That's also cool because that's, there's a move to that now. Hey, That's true because then it also shows that even if it's not just one-sided, even if it's not like using a medical aging thing, but also just keeping a healthy diet and also fitness or like dancing and those things can also do help. So I think that um, it was also very, I think, um, interesting just to find out and just to learn about someone else's like tips on how to keep, uh, to maintain a healthy diet. But I think what is more interesting for me is to seeing someone her age still being able to do the things that she has always been doing, like dancing and also just exercising and keeping keeping fit at all times. Yeah, and the realness of her story as well, that, I mean, she did do the diets at some point. She, she did want to to be skinny, and she wanted to achieve that, and then she details how she used to starve herself as well and go from one crash diet to another, and then she found her balance after a while, after embracing the different methods of being healthy. I think that's important to share. It really is, um, because I also do think that the shift from that um, also says a lot about, like, body positivity, the fact that a lot of times people starve themselves just to get to get the kind of um, maybe um, what's this body shape that they want, and sometimes it's not as effective. And it's also just very inspiring when someone says that you need to um, give different kinds of diets like a chance and try to understand what your body is able to respond positively to, as opposed to just maybe starving yourself and thinking that's that and you're going to get the results that you want because even as a person you still need to get specific nutrients and you can only get those nutrients from eating um, the food that you're supposed to eat. So I think it's very interesting also just to chat about that because 
it really does show that maybe you need to try as different uh, meals or diets as possible so you can get to the one that is best fit for you. That's one thing I appreciate for me. I take away from the lockdown of COVID. I think we kind of got into that more than we did before. So, I mean, there's a positive for me. I don't know what you think in terms of uh, the takeaways from COVID. I think that was one of it for me. Uh, the healthier lifestyle and life choices. Um, that's true because I think for me personally, during that time, I I just I changed my diet a bit, but it was more of like a, a personal thing of just trying to make sure that even though I'm at home, um, it still doesn't mean that I need to fall into the cycle, which I do understand that many people did fall into a cycle and were just taking, it was takeout every day and no one really had the chance or the time to even focus on their body because, I mean, we all thought that we wouldn't come out of COVID or we wouldn't really um, still be able to go out post-COVID. So that's why we fell into that cycle. But I also do think that it's important then for people to still come back because now, even though things are not 100% or fully okay, but to still be able to be very optimistic about a healthy diet and eating healthy. Because it's not just about the body, but it's also just about your health as a person, you know. Mm. I do think that those things are very important to take into consideration. Okay, let's talk uh, now. He- uh, hashtag ANC leaks. Uh, NC party spokesperson Pule Mabe saying in a statement that there's a, a growing tendency of leaking discussions of the party to the media. This consistent leaking of internal discussions happening within the ANC. We heard, I mean, first with the Jesse Duarte uh, situation, Deputy Secretary General there, a clip where she could be heard criticizing the Zondo Commission. So in your view, what's happening? Is this in, you know, a reflection of this era that we're in now where everything is so easy? easy to leak because of social media and how accessible things are online or does this speak to you know what we touched on yesterday the breaking down of the structures within the ANC or, or maybe it's even both what's your what's your view I think it's twofold um, the first one is to understand that even though it's a democratic system um, it's not and, and, and the party is supposed to inform the citizens of everything that is going on. But I do think that things like the secrecy bill, like making sure that the information within the party, especially information that isn't supposed to be known by the public, isn't known by the public, I think I can accept that to some extent, that we shouldn't really know about certain information. And this is why I'm holistically against like the lacking of information, and especially information linked to social media. Because the other part is that even in a democratic system, uh, media plays a huge role in terms of informing people about what is happening and just um, initiating those important discussions. But the other problem I have, especially with South African and the media industry, mm. is just how even when the leak, leaking of information happens, sometimes it's not even accurate information, or even if the information is accurate, they try to make it in such a way that it's very interesting to the public. So I think, and, and in a way in which it now opens window for us to crucify the ruling party, not to justify and say that the ruling party is perfect, but because of those two faults that even though the democratic system allows for those interactions to happen and for media to share, to share such information with the public, but I do still think that, like, if we're being honest, it's not some of the information that we're supposed to know about. It needs to be contained within the party itself. But also looking at the other part about how the party itself, it's cracking from the inside. So it's, it's failing. The party is going through a lot, especially in this era. And with the party going through a lot and people leaking information, I think that's also what is the problem. 
because not mm. only is the party we losing credibility with the party, but it's also forcing us more and more to also try and like shift from having faith in the party itself. And even though that has been happening for the longest time, but I think what is currently happening now with the league, it's simply tempting and forcing people to lose more faith in the party itself and to, for us to lose credibility in the party. And this isn't something that I really think that should be happening at this point in time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, once the investigation is done, because the investigation is still ongoing right now, uh, in terms of the the leaks, uh, those individuals found guilty will be guilty of misconduct. Do you think they will be caught in terms of who the sources are exactly, or that might be difficult to pinpoint? I think it might be difficult to pinpoint, especially because everything that has to do with investigation when it comes to the party takes a long time. And even if they do find those people when it comes to holding them to account for misconduct, I, I, I'm not really that optimistic about that. But I do think that it's very important for those people to be held to account. Because imagine now there's something that's big that the party's discussing and something that largely affects the public. And even though they're not ready to cause a panic and disclose that information, but imagine if someone decides to go to media and we find out about it from media. So then we also start questioning the credibility of everything and even the party or the democratic system. So this is why I am holistically against um, the leaking of information, because should anything go wrong, you're going to cause a panic in the public. And imagine you're causing panic for something that isn't even there, but because you're just trying to spite someone or to get back at someone. So this is why I don't like the leaking of information, because it's just a way of trying to get back at each other and that's not something that we want to be a part of. We don't want to be part of their petty politics. So I do think that they really do need to hold those people to account for the things that they've been doing. And it would definitely cause confusion. I mean, on the other hand of the fact that it's still deliberations in, during the meeting. So if their statements have not been issued as this is the final, uh, you know, getting point where we've, we, we've now resolved and, and gotten here and it's still ongoing conversations, it will cause uh, confusion because there's no uh, one voice at that stage, you know, when the information is leaked. Uh, we'd rather wait until the deliberations are made and, you know, it's it's presented that this is the result of all the conversations that took place. Okay, hashtag Jerusalem. Uh, Palestinian Health Ministry saying 20 people were killed in Israeli air raids on Gaza after Hamas fired rockets at Jerusalem. Uh, yesterday, there were reports of 305 people being injured. 88, I mean, during the afternoon, 88 people were rushed to the hospital. So now we're having this figure that uh, 20 people, and this includes children, have been killed in the attacks. This, are, this is a, you know, a, quite an ongoing situation here between Palestine and Israel. The Israel and Palestine conflict has been happening for a very long time because even when we read up on it, it dates back to the issue of land and who is the rightful owner of the land and who needs to own that land. So for the longest time, the Palestinians have just always faced um, attacks from the Israelis. And even when you're having conversations with that, it's very difficult because if you try and defend the Palestinians as a minority, you find people fighting and saying that, you don't understand the source of this conflict or this war. But in relation to what has currently happened and the attacks, I think even the biggest concern is that it's happening during like Ramadan month. So that's why that makes a lot of people uncomfortable that in a holy month where we anticipate a lot of good things happening, but with the attack that happened and especially because even 
children being affected by such things. I think that's the most painful part about it, that when conflict is happening between two states or even the conflict between Palestinians and Israelis, it always affects the minority actors who can't really protect themselves. And those innocent civilians that are losing their lives or innocent civilians that are injured, especially children, then when it does affect that, then I think intervention needs to happen. Because even for the longest time, the United Nations or any other international organization has been so scared to intervene with that because it has a lot more to do with just it being about the land or the conflict itself, but it's, it's, it's actually deep. But I think now we've reached a tipping point where we really do need to act and try to intervene in that situation because the more we don't intervene, the greater it is that the conflict is going to affect them in the long in the long run. So it means every single year, every single time, we're always going to anticipate such attacks to happen. And I really don't think that it, sh- it should really be a thing. I think that we need to definitely need to do something about it and we need to intervene. In a holy month, I mean, in a holy area as well, the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound in Jerusalem is where uh, the attacks are reportedly had started. And and you say, you know, it is a, a land issue. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is saying in a press conference or in his address yesterday that it's a land issue, but also it's about lawlessness. Who is the one who's lawless uh, in this situation? Because if we look at Palestine and those who occupy the east part of Jerusalem, uh, they need to get permission from Israel to enter Mm -hmm. because Israel has taken charge of ports of entry there. So who's the lawless one there when when the Palestinians are being denied access by the Israelis who are in charge of ports of entry? How do we even start to pinpoint who the lawlessness comes from? I think it's just the unfortunate part that every time when Palestinians need to get access to resources like water or like the ports, like trying to move around, they need to get permission from the um, the East Israelis. So I think that's the sad part because even when I was talking to a friend who is that side, she was even talking that when we had a tournament, she literally had to stop somewhere, I think in Israel, and take a bus there and it was a hassle. She had to wait there for like two days before she could get into a country. So it does really show that even when they're supposed to move around, they're also denied access. So it's more like they don't necessarily have the laws protecting them as Palestinians, but they're always relying on Israelis to be the savior of everything. Because even in that situation, even if they can still decide to have their own laws, it to me, it really does seem like Israel is trying to um, govern everything that happens in Palestine. And in that situation, then it, it stifles Palestinians from actually trying to have their own laws and to have their own constitutions to protect or to govern them to begin with. So the lawlessness also comes from the fact that if you don't have institutions, if you don't have resources, it's even more difficult for you to try and stand for yourself. So it means that you're always going to depend on the other one as your savior. And with having Israel as a savior, it's also a thing of allowing them to still control and still to bully uh, Palestinians, which is the sad part about it. So I do think that even with regards to um, the border, having the border itself, it exists, but in reality, it's not actually a thing because Israelis can just decide at any time to do what they want to do. And if you're depending on them for something, then it automatically means that you need to be governed by them. Otherwise, you will not get all the things that you want. So even though they're fighting for the land and they're also fighting to govern themselves. I think that sovereignty is 
less likely going to happen if they're still going to be dependent on the Israelis for resources, for water, or anything like that. So it makes it even more difficult for them mm. to survive on, on their own. Let's take a short break. Just one more point on that after this. This is Sound Awake, 20 minutes past four, talking trending topics with Atlehang Mulefe, our social commentator. Trending news right now. Continuing with Atlehang Mulefe, looking at social media in the last 24 hours, we're still on the point of hashtag Jerusalem, Israeli police and Palestinians clashing in the old city outside of Al-Aqsa Mosque. And uh, we're talking about the border and the entries there being in, you know, uh, in the hands of the Israelis, Palestinians' families being divided as a result, as those who are in the east of Jerusalem can't access the others who want to, you know, see their families. So families are divided. Palestine as you talk of interventions at the Khan, asking for UN security forces to do just that, will that help? Um, I think that would help. I think definitely that would happen. I think the United Nations as an institution itself, it has its own aims and principles and those principles are to make sure that they end um, you know, uh, wars within the countries. And even though it's not something that is feasible right now, but I think taking an active stance towards trying to mediate the situation between the two countries would necessarily assist. And I think because if an if a, if a state maybe um, can, even if the, it constitutes as a failing state, in order to try and rebuild that state, in order to try and have institutions and power to protect that particular state, it also starts with trying to, with the intervention, building institutions, making sure that a state has resources, making sure that even the population of the state is able to, like maybe like citizens are able to get access to like basic necessities. So in instances where those things are not there, and because as a, in a country itself, we cannot anticipate that a country to be able to rebuild itself without intervention from uh, maybe like um, intergovernmental organizations or even the United Nations to begin with, then if those things don't exist, it makes it difficult for a state to rebuild itself. So this is why I think intervention can really do go a long way. And in terms of having that institution facilitating the rebuilding of that state itself. So that's why the United Nations definitely needs to intervene in that situation. All right. Finally, hashtag bus strike at Joburg Metro bus saying services will come to a complete halt as of yesterday uh, following ongoing strike action by its drivers. So uh, it's uh, basically Metro bus and workers aligned to the Democratic Municipal and Allied Workers Union of South Africa, Demawusa. They've been at loggerheads over a list of grievances, mainly though the the union demanding a salary increase of 18%. What do you think will be the final offer? Because Metropass is saying they can't meet 18%. Um, I think it happens a lot, especially during winter where um, the strike's happening. Um, But I do think that the 18% that they want, I I mean, I'm optimistic that they will get the 18%, especially because a transport issue in South Africa affects a lot of things. It affects people. It affects, like, maybe it it really does affect the citizens. And if it it really does affect the people, then it it creates a sense of agency or incentive then for government to try and negotiate with the the to try negotiate with maybe the the unions in in that for that matter so i do think that even though it's going to take some time because the metro bus strike has been happening i think for some time now it's been about a week eh? yeah so it would be like a an incentive to force the government to try and negotiate and give them the 18 percent that they want because every winter season Mm. there's always a strike and imagine it's winter now and 
Um, a lot of people do rely on uh, on buses because of how cost-effective they are. So I do think that they do deserve that 18% increase, and I'm very optimistic that they will get the 18% increase. Let's hope it gets solved quickly so that commuters can uh, be safe and be guaranteed uh, transportation as well. Thank you, Atlehang. Let's leave it there for now. Uh, thanks. We'll, we'll do this again then. Enjoy the day. Thank you so much. Same to you, Asanda. Thank you. Atlaha Mulefe, social commentator, looking at our trending topics here on Sound Awake. So.